This is Brainstem with your host, neuroscientist Dr. Hilary Marusak, production by Amanpreet and Manmeet Bogle. I am so excited for today's episode. This episode is all about mommy brain, and I took the opportunity to introduce and invite my best friend from a very long time ago. I'm not going to give numbers because it's been a very long time, Um, but Kristen will be joining us as a mom, and she'll talk all about that. Um, But Kristen, can you first tell us by introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Kristen. I am a mom of three right now. I have a four and a half year old boy. two-and-a-half-year-old twin girls, and then I have another one on the way, a boy, coming in October. Um, my husband and I have been married for eight years. Hillary and I, yeah, we know each other a long time. We bonded over our love of soccer and horses and mm-hmm. still bond over that. And Yeah, yeah. excited. <laughs> and Kristen is a longtime supporter of the podcast, so we very much uh, appreciate that. Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. We'd like to hear more about yourself and your your newborn or your baby that's on the way that's um, going to be born potentially on my birthday. Yes, yes, maybe on your birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Hillary and I have talked about kind of mommy brain for a couple of years now, just my experience with it and how f- I was fascinated with it because I know it involves the brain a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always been very interested in it. So I'm excited to talk about that and more of my experience and maybe, you know, other moms can listen to it and feel feel seen, feel heard that, okay, I'm not, you know, it's it's a real thing. It, mm-hmm. it happens, and I'm excited to talk about it and give like kind of a a real perspective on it. And then excited also to hear the professional and expert side of it too. To um, to hear more about that. Yeah, so. to hear more about the neuroscience <laughs> behind yes. it. So this will be an awesome episode. Yeah. So yeah, mommy brain is something that I think a lot of people hear about. It's kind of like a rite of passage of being pregnant or having children. And a lot of people say they describe it as like a brain fog or they might lose things that they, you know, they forget where they place things and things like that. So tell us like what, what it's like in your experience. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is forgetfulness. That's that's probably the, the best summary of it. But, you know, every mom's experience is a little different. This one just happens to be mine. Um, I remember it all kind of started like when after my, well, during the pregnancy, I would say with my son, and then it just kind of got more escalated. And more escalated from there. But I remember my husband even saying he, he was worried there was something wrong with me. He really did. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I've ever told you that. He he was worried something was wrong. And, you know, it took a while for us to kind of figure out like, oh, okay, there, it's, it's, not something wrong with me. It's just, you know, my brain. That's just what happens when, mm-hmm. you know, you're pregnant and you have a, a newborn and then twins come and then COVID, you know, all those things affected, sure. you know, and then another one on the way, more pregnancy, even breastfeeding, that really affects it too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's a lot. And the forgetfulness that <laughs> I said, this podcast, you know, your your brain almost feels like scatterbrained. It's really hard mm-hmm. to focus. You, you start one thing and then you know, you can't remember what you said a minute later. It's mm-hmm. a very weird kind of thing. And I don't know, the, one of the examples I thought of was when I told you I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I texted you. I told you that. I remember And this. then literally, I don't know, like two weeks later, I text you again and send you an <laughs> ultrasound. And I was so confused why she wasn't like as excited and happy, but I'd completely forgotten that I told you already. Mm-hmm. Like that happens very frequently where I just, and I, I can't remember it. And it's just uh uh-huh. 
complete blockage, I would say. That's a great example. And just Mm -hmm. to be clear, Kristen was not like this before, so this is not her her baseline. So forgetting things, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's very weird. And it's, you know, you try and you try to focus and you try and it, I don't know, your brain almost, it's so focused on your kids. I don't want to say it's 100% focused on my kids, but probably close to it. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that you're forgetting, all that extra stuff, Mm -hmm. it's being filled up by your kids now, taking yeah. care of your kids. And I mean, that's that's what's supposed Which is to do. more important things. Right. And I think that makes sense that your brain would sort of be like refocusing, being, you know, having, I'm responsible for these young mm-hmm. people. I need to focus all of my brain energy on doing that. Like, I don't care where I left my keys. Exactly. So that makes total sense. Yeah. Is there anything else you've you've thought about or you've, you've um, observed or even Nick, your husband, has observed? Um, again, like I said, mostly the forgetfulness, but, you know, I know other people have experienced this too, but it happens probably more frequently now. You know, you walk into a room and mind goes blank. Why am I in here? What did I need? Or, you know, even listening, like listening to your podcast or when my husband's talking to me, you know, sometimes I just draw a blank. Like what, you know, I have to rewind the podcast. Wait, what was she just talking about? Even mm-hmm. though I was listening, I can't recall that information. Mm-hmm. Um, or when my husband's talking, I said, I'll be like, what, why, what did you mm-hmm. just say? You know, he'll say something like, oh, you just said this. Or like, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it was just a minute ago. It's like, I can't. I'm I don't not know. ignoring you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not ignoring you, but I know it's hard. It's, it, he's been more, as it's gone on, he's kind of been more understanding now sure. instead of just like, you know, what's wrong with you? Or yeah. Why aren't you listening? It's, um, yeah, it's been kind of a progression and we've evolved and yeah. um, our relationship, we've, we've figured out how to kind of yeah. <laughs> manage it. And yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're talking about it because like you said uh, in the beginning, I think a lot of people have experienced this and I think there's research to show that most people have. But mm. the more we talk about it, the more we can kind of like reduce the stigma and no, there's not something wrong with yeah. you. You're raising a child. Yes. So yep. <laughs> I think that's, that's a really important point. Um, I want to talk a little bit about other changes that have happened. So, you know, when we have the expert on, she will go into kind of like rebranding mommy brain because I think it gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you are raising children, which Mm -hmm. does require like a lot of different changes in your brain, which we call neuroplasticity in neuroscience. Um, So you're, you're, you know, you're having a lot of brain changes that are sort of supporting new roles as being a parent or, you know, just how to care for young children or how to manage all of their needs with your own. So your brain is adapting and it's kind of evolving and modifying to take on those new responsibilities, which I think people don't think about that as like a positive change. So what have you noticed on there? Like, are there ways that you think your brain has changed um, for the better or for for those areas? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that because my husband and I always talk about like, there's no instruction manual for kids. We came home from the hospital. It's like, here you go. Good luck. You know, (laughs) we'll figure it out. And you really don't. You kind of sit there like, what do you do? And um, as far as that goes, I think Part of it, you know, everyone always talks about like, you know, maternal instincts or even paternal instincts too. It's just, I think that kind of ties in with that, that you kind of gain those maternal instincts and you're just your intuition and um, that, you know, you can kind of focus on that and you really just get this sense of kind of how to take care of your kids. You know, you're never perfect and mm-hmm. you still kind of always question what you're doing, but I don't know, it, it is fascinating how you kind of learn that instead of focusing on yourself or, you know, you have to shift your priorities and mm-hmm. it, it, your mommy brain kind of does that for you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And then you also have to learn 
how to change your emotions and how to like read your kids' emotions very well. Because mm-hmm. I've noticed that moms, I'm not a mom myself, but I've noticed that moms are very good at saying like, oh, I know that cry or like, I know what that expression means. So yeah. that's a whole nother learning oh, process. I had never even thought of that. That is true. Yeah, moms always know, you know what your kid's saying or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the, the cries. Oh, I know that cry. That's a hunger cry or that's a, that's a you know, someone's hurt cry. That is interesting that that and. Um, well, speaking of crying, I know I've talked to you about this for the phenomenon and stuff, the, the phantom cries. Oh, I've yeah, to you yeah, about yeah, that. yeah. Tell Some listeners psych- about that. Psychological effect. Again, I thought I was kind of crazy, like, <laughs> hearing this, you know, in the sh- more in the newborn phase, not so much now. I think after, like, two years or so, you know, it kind of goes away. And um, just that newborn stage is really hard. But, um, yeah, in the shower, I for every child, you, you hear crying in your head and you're, That's crazy. they're not crying, mm-hmm. but you're literally hearing in your head so many times. I turn the shower off. Oh no, there's no crying. Okay. Turn back out. Five minutes later, I swear I hear crying. Mm-hmm. Turn it off. No, no cry. And even at night, sometimes you just, you hear crying. And I don't know if it's because they're just crying all the time. So it's like, you know, almost like a memory in your head or if it's just mommy instinct, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Let me just double check and make sure. And yeah. it is a very weird that I don't, can't explain and I don't know why, but it happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it goes into, making it up. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And it goes into that your brain is, is reprioritizing to keep that mm-hmm. human being alive. So you kind of want to think about all the things that they would need and mm-hmm. what, you know, prioritize their survival. So. Yeah. It's really cool also um, what like women's bodies and brains do during the whole process. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, I think that everyone is aware that like the hormone changes that happen during pregnancy are just like a roller coaster. Um, There's like a 10 to 15 fold increase in progesterone, which directly affects your brain as well. Um, So a lot of people, they don't realize like what what is happening under the hood in your body is also like affecting your brain. And that could be your emotions, your hunger, Mm -hmm. your sleep patterns, basically everything. So Mm -hmm. you are pregnant right now. What have you experienced? (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's so many different phases. Like you said, pregnancy affects it. Even breastfeeding affects it. uh, Just being a mom in general affects it. So when you got all those things going on, it's a lot. And, you know, I talked about the phantom cries. That was kind of a weird thing. The other thing with in the newborn phase, you know, I breastfed again. Not not everyone does, and that that's fine. But what I experienced, like if when I would hear my baby crying, my boobs would leak milk. <laughs> that's a weird thing. It's yeah. like you can't control, but that's clearly something my brain is telling. No, it's involuntary. Time. Involuntary yeah. that, and I was like, that's weird, but it happens. And I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, just uh, stuff like that. Just kind of. Uh, these weird things that happen to your body that you just mm-hmm. can't control. And even this one, not so much uh, like physical, but more like emotional and social. Um, and I don't really talk too much about it with people, but other moms I've talked to about it and they've kind of experienced like in the newborn phase feeling, um, you know, you're about around a baby almost 24 seven. Right. And you sometimes feel like isolated a little bit and you're not mm-hmm. really around other adults. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, I forgot to mention that at the beginning, so I think that adds to it too. That mm-hmm. I'm literally around them 24 around seven. Little people. I, all I don't the time. get like a break during the day. It's yeah. There and so I'm just surrounded by kids all the time. And so when I'm around other adults, sometimes it's hard to like okay, not talk about my kids, even though I'm supposed to be doing that today. So that's a good thing. But you know, I mean, around other people, it's like I talk about my kids, or you know, I. I I was talking to another mom. We get like word vomit almost because mm-hmm. we're just like, oh, we're talking to another so adult. Excited. So yeah. excited. You know, <laughs> we're not talking to kids right now. And mm-hmm. so stuff like that happens. And even that, it's like you can't really control it. It's just mm-hmm. something that kind of happens. And um, that stuff's so really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that that happens that you, you know you yeah can't explain why well, I can't explain it I'll yeah <laughs> yeah no expert that can explain it <laughs> that's that's a, re- a really interesting aspect as well and I wanted mm-hmm. to touch a little bit more on like mm-hmm. um have you noticed any changes like in your sleeping or your hunger levels? I know that's always oh, yeah. a common thing. The hunger. Yeah. yeah. The hunger is, yeah, that stays even, like I said, pregnancy, breastfeeding, it it stays for a while, the mm-hmm. hunger. And then the sleeping, I, I've read different things about it because so towards the end of the pregnancy, especially you get really uncomfortable and kind mm-hmm. of bigger, you know, bigger belly, can't sleep as well. Mm-hmm. And also just in your head, you're, you're just kind of more in your head a little bit mm-hmm. and just have trouble sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. And they say that that's to kind of prepare you for the newborn because you're going to be up with the newborn at all hours of oh, the night. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't, again, that's what people say. I don't know if it's been studied, yeah. but that's, my, I've had that experience too, that they've, uh, you know, the later on the pregnancy goes, you're, I'm up more even now. Like I'll sometimes get up at 2 a.m., be up for mm-hmm. an hour just um, – in my head a little bit (laughs) and uncomfortable. And then during the newborn stage, you are up and you're sleep deprived. And that I think affects too your hormones, your emotions, all those things. Mm -hmm. And the hormones from pregnancy delivery on top of that, it just, it makes a very moody (laughs) mix of, uh, and it's a lot. It's hard though, especially like I said, the first newborn phase and that could be affecting, like I said, the phantom cries, all those things you're hearing. It's all all, all together, all mixed. In. Yes, it's, I think it's all connected. Yeah. It all it all affects it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I put uh, to that has to do with the emotional and mm-hmm. other stuff that happens um, during pregnancy. I've been experiencing this now, uh, nesting, which <laughs> is a thing. I don't know if you've heard of this. So a like, little bit, but they, yeah, they explain more. It, yeah, <laughs> they call it nesting. What a mom like kind of almost hyper focuses on getting the house ready for oh, the baby. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's clean. The okay, the nurseries. We have all the diapers, the mm-hmm. clothes, and I've been experiencing that. And again, it's something you can't help. I remember my husband be like, "What? Why are what you, are you <laughs> like? We have three months. What you know? Do you have to clean that right now, or do we really need to put the baby crib together right now?" Yeah. And it's like in your head, yes, you do. You have to get it done mm-hmm. now, is to get you know to get ready for the baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what your mind is focused on. It's just it's so fascinating because a lot of it seems like so like evolutionarily like mm-hmm. hard grained into you, and then like a lot of um, people I'm sure experience very similar things. But there's so much variability. So I'm sure when you talk to other moms, they have mm-hmm. different experiences. Yeah. So yeah. is there anything that you felt like other people have experienced that you maybe haven't? Um, one thing that I'm sure is affected to this and slightly different, but postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't experience that, but I can imagine that having yeah. that even in addition to all the other things going on makes that even more difficult right. to, you know, have a newborn and try to kind of be yourself and navigate motherhood and the mm-hmm. mommy brain. And so that's one thing I have not experienced, but yeah, I know I've very heard common. people that it, it's it's hard. It can be, that can uh, affect that. Oh, um, I'm sure. And yeah. uh, like along those same lines, like miscarriages or difficulty mm-hmm. with getting pregnant, there's a yeah. lot to that. And um, I really like how you talked about like the hormones too, because I think in the field of psychiatry, which is where, where we work, like it's kind of a new area to know that 
your hormone levels can directly affect your brain and your mood and your Mm -hmm. risk for things like depression or PTSD Mm -hmm. or other types of disorders. So even like during your menstrual cycle, those fluctuations can make you more or less um, susceptible to mood changes or to PTSD, depending on like when you're exposed to a traumatic event. So Mm -hmm. I just think same thing goes for pregnancy. Like anything that happens to you during those hormone Mm -hmm. waves is, is so fascinating. And I think we don't know that much about it yet. Yeah. So it's kind of a new area. Start studying our brains. <laughs> I know Kristen always tells me, we'll have to get you in the scanner Just, at some yeah, point. During pregnancy, the delivery, <laughs> the study whole the thing. brain. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's so much going on. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And people have done a little bit of that type of work. And we do have some brain specimens in the lab now that Kristen is going to be holding. Maybe we'll get some pictures to post <laughs> on our social media. Um, but yeah, we're going to hear a little bit about like the brain changes um, soon. But that's certainly an open area where we need a lot more research. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention and talk to you about is daddy brain. Oh, yeah. So not to pick on Nick. I love Nick very much, your husband. Um, but have you experienced anything in him or has he said anything different on, in his, his view? Yeah. So, and again, this is just our experience. And so other people may have a different experience with daddy brain. But our ex- my experience is that it almost is like the opposite of mommy brain. I feel like that it's kind of like the, I think that's the right word, like the counterpoint or the counter mm-hmm. to mommy brain. Like where my brain leaves off, he kind of picks up, I think. A good um, team. Yeah. So we cut and I think that's how it should be. It's, it take, it's taken a while, you know, like I said, at the beginning, you're just kind of figuring it out in mm-hmm. survival mode. But, you know, we've worked it out where it's, it's kind of, I don't know. We're at, like you said, we're on the same team. We've we've worked as a team, and we're when I'm forgetful, he'll remember it, or mm-hmm. you know, he'll now that he understands it instead of just mm-hmm. kind of looking at me like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I, I that's my opinion of it. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't know the science behind it. There may be uh, it may be different, but um, that's kind of my opinion of it. Is that it is, but it's to to almost benefit and yeah. to help. Yeah. I think. In a different way. <laughs> in a I'm different sure. way. Yeah. It's his brain is is remembering more different things, I should say. Yeah. Like I I'm um I don't know if you want to get us, but like I'm kind of the default parent at the home. And that's just how our household is. And so my job is the kid. That is my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has different jobs and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so his, they fall on him and that's where he kind of picks up where mine Yeah. Guess, yeah, you off. guys are a good team. And yeah. I'm sure every like you alluded to, every relationship it's is different. It's a little different. It's yeah. just how ours is and it's it yeah. works. <laughs> so his brain also, I'm sure if we were to scan it, like there would be changes because he's working out new roles with mm-hmm. you. He's working out new roles as being a, a parent himself. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's changes associated with that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's very cool. Well even he he claimed he would never change a diaper. He's changed some diapers. <laughs> That's good. Not very many, but he's changed some. <laughs> he's changed some. That's yeah. all that matters. But just like that, you know. He, good job, Nick. I don't have to come says, I got to take care of my kids. So he, he right. does it. <laughs> right. Crazy what people do with their parents, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm sure like if you, and they people have done studies on this, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to ask Dr. Callahan about this, but they actually put like, they measure the brain activity of a mom and a baby together and just mm. see like the, the synchrony that happens there. And I don't know. Do you ever feel like there's like you guys are connecting you with your kids on a brave Wayne wavelength, if that makes sense? Kind of. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I don't know if it's necessarily the same brain brain wavelength, but I do feel connected or like even still when I hold them, they're still, you know, they're two and a half and four and a half. Like if I hold them, it's getting mm-hmm. harder with, with my belly. But, um, <laughs> you know, you get this. Um, 
oxytocin. I think yeah. that's the word. You almost get like this, like, oh, like this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rush of like, okay, I'm okay now. You know, as long as they're not crying. <laughs> and right. that's another story. But if they're happy and it's like, you guys can take deep breaths together. You yeah. kind of feel, I don't know, it relaxes both of you. And they're, yeah. they're you know, you're kind of their home and they can bring you that kind of comfort too. So right. in that sense, yeah, you yeah. know, it's, you know, when we hold them and brings us comfort. Yeah. And look at you using oxytocin. I I remember, I'm like, I'm going to remember this word. (laughs) You told it to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if, for those who don't know, it's, it's a hormone and it's traditionally called the love hormone. So it's for (laughs) bonding. So obviously mother and baby Mm -hmm. and also friends like Mm -hmm. touch. Um, And it also plays a really important role in regulating mood and emotion. So it's a really fascinating, we'll have to do a whole episode about like bonding between mother and baby. Or even, um, I said the breastfeeding again. That's my experience. You almost get like this high. I was telling my husband oh, about it. It's very. It is. It's felt like a drug. I remember, especially with my twins, I felt mm-hmm. it like when initially you you know they start. It's like oh, like your brain literally. I could it's almost relief, feel yeah. the like the high going to my brain. Yeah. It was a very fascinating, weird feeling. Like oh, okay, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like yeah. I, and. I don't know if that's to like make sure we I keep feeding my child like an evolutionary thing like yeah. make sure you like it so you do it more I, yeah. I don't know but I, I remember that feeling like oh okay this is this is weird you know I can actually feel the oxytocin yeah <laughs> coming to my brain it makes total sense they yeah. they bind directly to brain areas that mm-hmm. are rewarding and mm-hmm. make you feel good yeah. so that does make total sense and I think you're right it's probably some sort of evolutionary yeah. adaptation to make sure you're taking care yeah. of your kids yeah, making sure they're fed <laughs> yeah no this has been super helpful I I do want to end with um you mentioned a couple times that you talk to moms a lot, which I'm sure a lot of people do. And yeah. we talk a lot about how community is so important on this podcast. So what do you um, recommend for somebody who's, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it, who wants more information about mommy brain, about like how to deal with like burnout of being a parent? What would you suggest as a mom? You know, I'm in, I know I'm saying like, oh, there's groups and stuff. And I'm in some Facebook groups, but I'm more of like an observer in those groups. I, I tend to just kind of like. A lurker. Yeah, I'm a lurker. <laughs> like, okay, I'll just look at the information and, you know, I don't really like contribute, I should say. But yes, other moms especially. And it, I don't see a lot of these moms a lot, even you. It's like I don't get to see a lot of people in person, but even mm-hmm. just texting or phone call. Mm-hmm. It's like and sharing those experiences like, oh, hey, this happened. Oh, that happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, no way. And talking to to pregnant moms or like first time moms, uh, but not scaring them, but just giving them, hey, this could happen. It's mm-hmm. it's normal. It's okay. Uh, you know, I try to share that with people. Even you, I know I've yeah, shared a lot with yeah. you and I don't we know can good or bad. I have one quick story about that because <laughs> yeah. I think this is so funny. I have dogs and Kristen was like, oh, my kid got into the trash can. And I was like, oh, my dog does that every day. Yeah. So yeah, commiserating, I think is always. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So funny. But yeah, that thing, you know, I try to keep my brain active. Like you've taught me your brain is a muscle that I need to mm-hmm. work out, in which I learned from you. And so, you know, I try to study my Italian every night. I try to really kind of do something with yeah. my brain. Unfortunately, I'm in a period of my life where I, 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 I'm still not 100% me. I think that's the other mm-hmm. thing with mommy brain, especially with young kids. I think it eventually comes back to you, but you kind of lose yourself in your kids. And it really mm-hmm. takes a long time for it you to kind of find yourself again. And yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I'm starting to like after two years old, you kind of start, but I'm curious how, you know, a new baby will start back at square one. I'll be back into it. But 
it takes a while. And so it's like, that's kind of my hobby right now. It's like, okay, yeah. I get to do my Italian at night and focus on my brain. And, you know, it's for me or, you know, working out's been tough because I'm pregnant. But, you right. know, once hopefully I can get that back into that yeah. again. And, um, but yeah, kind of taking time for yourself, but it's hard. It's hard to do. And for so sure. it's, you yeah. kind of lose yourself and until you can kind of get that back. I don't know if mommy, the mommy brain will improve maybe once that happens. So I'm yeah. curious, like I said, I kind of start back at square one, but uh, hopefully over time it'll kind of maybe come back. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that those are really good take home messages. So community talking to other people mm -hmm. and then having something for yourself. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, we'll have to have you back in a couple of years so you can answer those questions yes. on if you've noticed any changes. Yeah. <laughs> for the newborn stage and, <laughs> and beyond. Yeah. yeah. The empty nest syndrome mm -hmm. is a whole another oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, don't oh. tell me about that. Yeah, I know. Don't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Callahan, for joining us. Um, we just heard from my best friend uh, about what it's like to have mommy brain from kind of a firsthand experience. But now I'm very excited to have you on the podcast to tell us a little bit more about the neuroscience behind it and anything you would like to add in, in your experience. Um, I think I just told you right offline that I've been a huge fan of your work for a very long time. So I was super excited that you accepted my invitation uh, to come on the podcast. So first, thank you so much for doing that. Um, but do you mind just briefly introducing yourself and uh, just telling us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for inviting me. It's um. It's really a pleasure. I love to talk about mommy brain. Um, so my name is Bridget Callaghan, and I'm an assistant professor of psychology at um, UCLA, so the University of California, Los Angeles. Um, I started in 2019. I've been here for a couple of years, weathered a pandemic, and um, come out the other end, kind of. Uh, <laughs> so I've been uh, researching, you know, lots of different things across the course of my career. I mostly focus on um, early life adversity. I look at parent-child relationships and kind of more recently in the last, say, five years, we've started to focus more on mothers and parenthood. Awesome. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just making mental notes of things to bring you back on to talk <laughs> about because so many exciting things. But um, Kristen did talk about her experiences with kind of like memory loss, forgetfulness um, during pregnancy and also during motherhood. So what does the research have to say about all this? Yeah. So firstly, Yes, mummy brain exists from a definitely from a subjective perspective. I have a child. Um, I think you said your friend has four or she's pregnant with her fourth. Like, power to her. That's amazing. I'm just the one and um, it's a lot of work. Um, and in fact, I was writing my first paper on mummy brain when I was pregnant with him. So it was interesting to kind of see the objective, subjective kind of discrepancy in mummy brain play out in real life. 
So basically, in terms of the subjective experience of mummy brain, it's extremely well supported. So lots and lots of studies have shown that women who are pregnant and in the postpartum period feel this like brain fog, memory loss, um, cognitive changes. And I will put my hand up and say that I absolutely experienced that as well when I was pregnant and particularly in the postpartum period. My husband and I would be like taking our son for a walk around the neighborhood and we just like couldn't have a conversation because we just couldn't like get a conversation going. It was just like impossible to like think about things um, in any sort of way. So we would just like silently walk around the neighborhood. Um, so there are definitely subjective reports that are very well validated. Where it becomes interesting is the objective evidence. So there are lots and lots of studies that have been done on mummy brain from this kind of objective cognitive test perspective. And in fact, lots of meta-analyses, so at least two meta-analyses have been done where they basically compile together all of those results from, from the many studies. And what they show in these meta-analyses is that there are very few objective memory deficits in pregnancy. Uh, there are some very small findings that tend to be consistent across studies. And so tasks that um, really heavily tax the prefrontal cortex and prefrontal reserves, things like uh, verbal paired associates tasks where you need to like learn about one word that's paired with another word and then subsequently you're given the first part of the word stem and you just have to kind of spontaneously generate the second part. That's a really hard task and it requires a lot of prefrontal cortex. That tends to be somewhat disrupted during pregnancy and in the postpartum. And then um, kind of free recall tasks. So just, you know, remembering things from, from that you've been presented. That's also a very tough task. Also requires a lot of prefrontal cognitive stuff and that is also a little bit there's you know a small decrement during pregnancy mm. and in the postpartum so then we're left in this weird situation where we have all of these women including some scientists reporting this subjective change in memory that's not backed up with the objective evidence and so now we're in a position where we're trying to figure out like why why is that so what is causing these subjective memory deficits and they could be you know, a variety of different uh, reasons why women are reporting this uh, that stem from just this huge cognitive change and burden in pregnancy. So like you've got mm -hmm. all of a sudden overnight one million more things to think about. Um, there are these like priming effects because everyone, you know, once you get pregnant, you're immediately you learn about mummy brain. You probably even already know about mummy brain before you're pregnant. You can't escape it. It's online. It's everywhere. And so, you know, all of a sudden, when you forget your keys, you might attribute it to mummy brain, this very salient feature of your environment, um, rather than just the fact that everyone forgets their keys from time to time. So there are multi a multitude of things that could explain the deficit, but unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data on it at the moment. That's so fascinating. I think people will be surprised and even shocked by what you're saying. But um, yeah, it's I mean, that's the purpose of objective research is that we can actually test that. So it's interesting that there's that huge discrepancy. Mm -hmm. And I know your work and others are looking into exactly why that happens. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to ask because a lot of um, my friend Kristen was saying that her husband has even noticed mm -hmm. um, some differences. But do you think it's possibly that kind of priming effect as well? Mm -hmm. So it's Many things. So it's firstly, you know, sleep is disrupted during pregnancy and particularly in the postpartum, and that's for both parents. So 
when our sleep goes out the window, then so does our cognition. So we're not very good thinkers when we haven't slept well. So that's for both parents. The cognitive load of parenting, I think personally is higher for mothers, but it is shared by both parents, you know, when you have a two-parent relationship Mm -hmm. or, you know, two parents for the child. Um, And then you've got this like hormonal change for the woman that's kind of spontaneously produced by the state of of being pregnant. But you also have hormonal changes in fathers who are engaging in caregiving um, actions, like learning about caregiving, learning about the infant. And so those changes definitely, you know, sorry, those behaviors in the fathers definitely cause changes in biology and also in the brain. And these could also contribute to the daddy brain. Although it's spoken about less, you know, it's definitely something that occurs in dads. Awesome. I I do want to get back to daddy Mm -hmm. brain, so let's put a pin in that. But, um, yeah, I think it's just so fascinating that there's all these changes. And you're right, like maybe the sleep disruption is actually what people are 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 reporting that mm-hmm. has um, more objective cognitive changes because I was talking to my friend and colleague Eric and that's what he said like I don't sleep so mm-hmm. that's probably why I'm kind of sluggish but <laughs> that makes total sense yeah. um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, your kind of rebranding of mommy brain which I think is so wonderful because you kind of alluded to this that you know you have to change your brain to um, focus on a new human Mm -hmm. and all of their needs and parenting and all of these new situations. And that certainly requires um, changes in your brain. So I'd love to hear more about your rebranding idea. Yeah. So, um, you know, the rebranding kind of has two components to it. So one component is just trying to figure out, you know, this objective subjective deficit that we've already spoken about. So like what, why is it that so many women are reporting this cognitive change, yet we still don't know a lot about it and what is kind of underlying that. But then there's this second component to the rebranding, which is really more about, um, you know, trying to acknowledge the fact that parenting is difficult, extremely difficult, (laughs) and getting more and more so in modern day. So parenting is really difficult and there are lots of cognitive benefits to pregnancy that are known in animal models and are known in some human studies as well, but are just not studied or not spoken about as much. Hmm. Um, So for example, we know from the rodent literature and also monkey literature that um, when animals become pregnant and during the postpartum period, increases in um, the efficacy of predation. So they become much better predators. They become much better at um, caching food. So their spatial memory really drastically improves. Uh, They become, you know, better able to provide for the needs of their infants. They become better nest builders, all sorts of um, cognitive benefits that make sense, you know, like evolutionarily speaking, hopefully um, we would, when becoming parents, create the necessary neuronal architecture and behaviors that would support this, you know, new task that we have, this new incredibly important task to care for and help our young survive. So the animal literature kind of takes that adaptation and kind of enhancements focus, but the human literature kind of feels a little bit like it's stuck in this mummy brain, women are stupid during pregnancy, why is that um, phase, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I find personally um, very annoying and, and it bothers me a lot to see that narrative yeah. kind of playing out again and again. So we're trying to rebrand this as, you know, a stage of cognitive plasticity 
And it's, you know, not just us. There are many researchers in this area that are doing the same thing, this term matrescence, so um, representing this transition to caregiving or motherhood or parenting, um, as similar in magnitude to the kind of body and brain change that happens during adolescence. So we've thought about adolescence for a long time as being a sensitive period. Now let's try and bring that into, um, you know, parenting and motherhood. I love that message. And yeah, it directly translates from kind of the preclinical or the animal research, which is where us as neuroscientists, we get a lot of our important ideas and it's a lot easier to understand what's happening kind of under the hood in those um, in those you know groups. So I, I'm really glad you're doing that. I think it's so needed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so you alluded to some of the the things that change during pregnancy, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about like brain and body changes that we do know of. Yeah. So um, there are a few areas where the brain and where we know about brain and body changes during pregnancy. So firstly, we know that everything changes an awful lot. So there are huge hormonal changes. The body grows and, you know, shifts and changes dramatically, like hips are opening and it takes, you know, over a year for the hips to return to their normal placement. So there are all of these physiological, behavioral, um, hormonal changes during pregnancy. As far as the brain goes, we don't know a huge amount. Um, Part of that is because it's challenging to scan pregnant women. Although there's not any evidence that MRI scans are damaging to fetuses, it's still um, difficult to get women into the scanner. Some scanners have rules about it, so whatever. And is it yeah. will their bellies even fit in the bore of the <laughs> magnet? Because it's like for those who don't know, it's like a long tube, and sometimes I feel like it's a little bit cramped in there. Very cramped. So. <laughs> so yes, they they do, but it is definitely a cramped um, kind of situation. Sure, but nonetheless, there are these kind of like technical issues with with scanning pregnant women so that's that's one component to it but the other component is that you know it just hasn't been studied um in the depth that it deserves um given that it's this tremendous amazing period of adult life where we see this heightened plasticity and in the service of you know providing support for a young child so it's not given the attention that it deserves so what we know so far are kind of structural changes and functional changes. So in terms of the structural side, uh, there was a, a really great study that came out in 2017 by um, Hoek and colleagues. And they were looking at gray matter changes in the brain. And the really neat thing about this study was that they had women pre-pregnancy and then after pregnancy. So they didn't do any pregnancy scanning. But the fact that they had a pre-pregnancy group is pretty amazing. That's really, really hard to recruit people who are maybe going to become pregnant in the next couple of years. So they had this really nice contrast. And what they saw was actually gray matter uh, decreases in multiple areas of the brain, including the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus. And those gray matter changes did seem to be associated with behavior. So specifically, the larger the changes, um, the more, uh, or rather the the better attachment, the better um, social cognition and caregiving um, that these parents were providing. So it seemed like these were adaptive brain changes. There were some like media outlets that kind of caught onto this and were like, oh, the brain is shrinking during pregnancy. 
uh, <laughs> which you know, not true. And as scientists, we know yeah. that um, often grey matter decreases associate are associated with um, you know specialization in, in behaviour. Um, right. If your brain doesn't change, that's possibly not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. The brain is meant to change. This is a very, very good thing. So that's one side of thing, these structural changes. And a few different studies have also looked at gray matter changes in the brain, particularly in the postpartum period, and actually shown increases, um, you know, four to six weeks postpartum and onwards. Another kind of structural metric is like brain age. And, you know, it's too complicated to describe. <laughs> I don't even think I fully understand how they, you know, create this metric of brain age, but it's based on mostly structural parameters. And really amazingly with that literature, it's been shown that mothers show sustained, so even up to six years post-birth, lower brain age than non-mothers. Mm. And this actually tracks with parity. So the more children you have up to a point, um, the lower your brain age. So your friend's brain at this point in time would look probably super young. <laughs> She'll be very excited to hear about this. <laughs> um, so those are some really cool findings. And then in terms of the functional side of things, um, that's where we tend to see the adaptation focus in the human research. So the functional studies have looked at things like response to your own baby's cry. Uh, response to pictures of your baby and shown neural changes or neural functional changes that are associated with greater responsivity to your own infant, which makes a lot of sense as well. And that also tracks with attachment and, you know, subsequent caregiving. Mm -hmm. No, that was awesome. That was a fully comprehensive <laughs> overview of what I'm sure is a very big literature, but like you said, needs to grow even more. Mm -hmm. So oh, that was so helpful. I want to go back to the daddy brain mm -hmm. thing because I think that's so interesting. And um, Kristen had alluded to the fact that she thinks her her husband is kind of complementary and kind of fills in where she thinks she has her own subjective gaps. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, what do you think about daddy brain? Yeah, so, again, not that much research on daddy brain or non-birthing parents. Um, so, you know, you can think of adoptive parents or, um, you know, foster parents, step parents. Um. What we know is that caregiving is a learned behavior. And so pregnant people have the added benefit of these hormonal changes that accompany the state of pregnancy and postpartum. And this really helps facilitate these, um, the learning of these caregiving behaviors. But anyone can learn to be a caregiver, including dads. And, you know, when we learn things, it changes our brain, it changes our biology. Um, so there is such a thing as daddy brain in terms of brain changes in fathers postpartum. Um, and this tracks with the amount of caregiving that they provide to the young. So the more involved fathers are with caregiving, then the more the brain changes, which is, you know, really not surprising. Um, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, whether it's um, a hetero relationship or otherwise to think about this dual parenting role and um, when that can be working together. Like your friend said, her husband is maybe complimentary and picking up some of the slack that she thinks um, she has let down and, and probably vice versa. Um, and I think that's probably true in a lot of relationships, but, you know, the parenting relationship changes a lot or rather the the romantic relationship changes a lot when you become parents, not surprisingly. And that can be yet another source of cognitive burden and, you know, conflict in the relationship that one needs to deal with postpartum. So there can also be like mm -hmm. a daddy brain that's related to stress, lack of sleep um, and other mm -hmm. relationship issues. 
Yeah, for sure. It affects, I'm sure, all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. For, definitely. Um, how has this research affected, if it has, um, your own parenting? And you mentioned you have a son. Mm-hmm. So how old is your son? Mm-hmm. And then how has it affected how you maybe um, parent him? Yeah. So Freddie is two now. He just turned two a couple of months ago. Oh. He's a darling. <laughs> Little Freddie. We realized the other, t- the other day that we hadn't taught him his um, middle name or last name so now he can say all of his names together which is just really cute Aww. he's always saying it all the time and telling other people which is adorable um so yeah I had him two years ago um and as I said right at the start of you know our discussion I was writing the you know my first paper on mummy brain whilst I was pregnant with him so it was really quite interesting to to see that play out in real life because I was in my paper showing you know actually cognitive benefits to to pregnancy and in the postpartum period, uh, yet in my own life, you know, I had one day I, you know, swallowed the dog's medication instead of my own medication. Oh, no. <laughs> Just all sorts of weird things happening. In my oh, life. my goodness. You're like, come on, this has to be real. <laughs> I'm going to call the hospital being like, is this the medication I right or am I going to need to induce vomiting at this point? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know, very funny um, contrast happening. Um, so I think the way that it's changed my parenting, um, and I think this is probably a product of the research as well as just being humbled by the experience of becoming a parent is just to be nicer to myself and to, you know, everyone, everyone gets a lot of grace in my life um, because, you know, parenting is really, really tough and there are all sorts of things that happen. You know, it's literally, you know, the hugest, in my opinion, the hugest life change that one can go through. It changes every aspect of your of your being and it really requires you to be rebuilt again afterwards. Um, So, you know, things like a slight inability to hold a great conversation um, in the few weeks postpartum, I really think that's a big deal uh, compared to all of the other things that your brain and body is doing at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's not really that women become stupid during pregnant. Women are never stupid in my opinion. Um, (laughs) it's that our focus is changed to a very different and much more important task at that point in time, which is keeping this baby alive, keeping me alive, getting some sleep, you know, it's, it's survival mode. And so, yeah, you're not going to come up with your best, um, philosophic thoughts and conversations (laughs) at that period of time. And that's all right. There are also other stages of life when that's not likely to happen, like getting off a flight. Um, super jet lagged, you're not going to write a paper at that point in time. You're not going to apply for a job then. So um, I think it's just shifting the expectations around parenting and what is, you know, what is expected of mothers at this point in time, Um, giving ourselves grace and trying to emphasize the cognitive benefits that happen during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and then contextualizing the perceived deficits that we have during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great message, too. And I hope this reaches a lot of people because, like you said, it, it gets a bad rap. I think a lot of people think there's something wrong with mm-hmm. them. And it gives you it gives those folks a little bit more, um, like you said, context. Like this is maybe just temporary, you know, I, lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. But there are so many benefits and positives. And your body is amazing that it's doing all of these yeah. things. I don't think that gets enough credit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's all focused on, you know, getting the old body back rather than appreciating what the new body has done. Right. Yeah. 
Exactly. The amazing feat that just happened. So that's a great message. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your research and what you are up to in this area. Yeah. Um, So, you know, the research that I've done in the past is more about these cognitive changes during pregnancy. So one of the things we noticed when we were reviewing literature, so this is research that I started as a postdoc with Nim Tottenham at Columbia University and Catherine Monk at Columbia Medical. And we were... um, we were really thinking about, you know, what is missing in this literature um, of cognitive changes during pregnancy. And one thing we noticed is that none of the tasks really tap into, they're not ecologically relevant. So in other words, there are these standardized tasks that everyone gets, but they don't assess anything that's like specific to pregnancy. So if we think that there are these cognitive benefits to pregnancy, they're probably likely to be found specifically for stimuli that relate to the way that attention is shifting. So if we're reorienting Mm -hmm. towards infant stimuli or baby stimuli, then maybe this is the type of stimuli we should be using in these cognitive tests to pick up a cognitive advantage if there is one. So we define this devised designed this new task to um, to look at these cognitive um, benefits during pregnancy, specifically looking at um, baby-relevant items versus kind of everyday adult items. And so, you know, together with um, Claire McCormick, who's at um, NYU, we found that pregnant mothers, so in the third trimester, mothers learned better than never pregnant mothers on these tasks, so specifically the baby-related items. So there was this cognitive advantage specific to the baby-related items for learning. But then surprisingly, when we tested everyone's memory two weeks later, the mothers were better than the never pregnant women on all types of items, so both the pregnancy-specific items as well as the adult items. So this suggests that there's both like a learning advantage that's domain-specific in pregnancy as well as this general memory advantage, which is, you know, never been reported before. So that was kind of where we began this work. And then since then and since, you know, writing theoretically in this realm and and thinking about um, the history of mummy brain and, um, you know, what what the benefits of pregnancy are and, and, you know, reflecting on my own experiences of of being pregnant. Um, We're starting to do more work now in my lab here at UCLA on, you know, thinking about pregnancy as this sensitive period for change. And so, you know, as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, I focus a lot on early life adversity. Um, And so I've been thinking a lot about how early life adversity influences our transition into parenthood and then how early life adversity, um, how pregnancy rather can be a period of enhanced plasticity where we might be able to address some of the longstanding issues of early life adversity. So one of the things that me and one of my students are doing at the moment is looking at how the brain kind of models information that's coming from the body during pregnancy and how this might uh, moderate the risk for depression um, at that time of life. Uh, So we actually see pretty excitingly that mothers are better at this internal body modeling than um, non-pregnant people. So that's pretty cool. So there are these kind of generalized cognitive enhancements again during pregnancy. um, And that does seem to moderate depression risk. So that's an exciting area. And we hope to go more into that realm of just like brain body understanding during pregnancy and, and how early life adversity kind of plays into that. 
That's awesome. You, I have so many questions for you, but <laughs> let me try to streamline. So the first um, study that you mentioned is really, really interesting because I think a lot of people don't think of um, kind of the ecologically valid aspect mm -hmm. of, of research because in many cases you just bring people into the lab and you kind of put the, them into this artificial laboratory environment and state and that doesn't really mimic you know, what people experience in the real world. My students and I talk about that all the time. And then the fact that we didn't really have the tools to study these positive aspects, but your lab was able to develop mm -hmm. them and you actually saw that there are changes with these new tools. So that's a really, really cool story. And I hope to see more of that. Um, and then with what you just mentioned, I think that there's um, hopefully... I just totally lost my train of thought and I'm not even pregnant. See, it happens. Yeah. Oh, no, I remember that. OK, so uh, the idea of like the sensitive period. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because yeah. you and I both have worked in kind of childhood and adolescence. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about that previously is mm -hmm. like, you know, your brain is always changing. Like you said, it's it's a muscle. It changes throughout the life. But there are possibly times in your life where it's more receptive to change. So mm -hmm. the fact that you're looking at pregnancy as a way to kind of change the brain for the better and to make people, you know, possibly address things like mental disorders is so fascinating. So maybe talk a little bit more about the sensitive period idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I think of it very similarly to the story of adolescence, but it's just like a little bit further behind in its history, the pregnancy side of it. So the adolescence story is really that for the longest time, people thought about adolescence as this period of storm and stress, this really risky period. And everyone was like, oh, goodness, we've just got to get the adolescents through this period and make sure that they're safe because they're making really risky, terrible decisions and that they're really at risk for mental health problems. And that, that is true to some extent. So we do see increases in risk-taking behavior during adolescence um, and adolescents are at heightened risk for mental health problems. But there's always a flip side to the risk and that is opportunity. So firstly, adolescents take all different sort of risks, including negative ones like maybe um, risky driving or maybe risky sex or drug taking. But they also take lots of positive risks like, um, you know, going than taking a new class or going out to a party where you don't know that many people are meeting your friends or, you know, activism is, you know, really enhanced during um, adolescence. So there's this opportunity that we're becoming aware of as a scientific community that's kind of embedded within this um, period of development. So there's both a risk and an opportunity to adolescence. And I think that's true of all sensitive periods. So always when the brain is at, um, is particularly receptive to environmental input, we have this risk that comes along with that because what if the input is bad or what if the brain doesn't, you know, um, respond in the way that we would want it to or, you know, whatever. Uh, but there is also this opportunity, which means that the brain is responsive to positive inputs. And um, if those inputs are available, then this might be a chance for the brain to um, go on a particularly good trajectory towards, you know, good mental health outcomes. So I think of pregnancy in the same way. So this is a time of adult life and potentially the only time of adult life where we see hugely heightened plasticity in the brain. So the brain is changing a lot. The body is changing a lot. Um hormone profiles are changing a huge amount. Um, and so all of this change, all of this flux is providing an opportunity for the brain to rewire. And, you know, that could 
potentially be for the better. Certainly we know that, you know, as we've already spoken about, there are many cognitive advantages to pregnancy that are under-recognized um, and to, to parenting and things like, um, you know, um, like executive functioning type of things. So being able to do, you know, multitask, that sort of thing is definitely increased um, in parents. Parents are great multitaskers. Um, but they're also kind of more... If, I don't know, fundamental psychological things that are changed during pregnancy and in the postpartum. So it's a very existential type of life change. There's a lot of reflection that people do during this stage of life, bringing up, you know, memories and thoughts about how you were parented, how you want to change things for the better. So there's also this, um, you know, reactivation of all of this you know, really heavy psychological information at this point in time. And, um, you know, this along with the plasticity really gives us a chance to kind of intervene and think about the ways that we could reframe things. Um, and, you know, people are motivated to make change at this time as well. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's so, so many changes that happen. It's, it's, um, a period of opportunity, yeah. I think is a good way of kind of reframing that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I wanted to end with um, what resources you would have for expectant mothers, people who may think they have mommy brain. We didn't touch much, much on postpartum depression, but I'm sure that's a big area of research for you. So what would you recommend for people? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some good books that are coming out. So there are several um, authors, I can think of um, three, and I can provide you with the details of these books afterwards that are like popular press books on mummy brain, but that really take this um, kind of balanced approach between what are the changes for the better and uh, for the worse when, when that's relevant. So I can definitely provide you with those. I think, um, you know, one of the biggest I don't know, resources or um, advice that I could impart to pregnant people and um, to parenting people is that, you know, mental health problems are huge during this period of time. Um, and whether they're like a diagnosable mental health problems like major depressive disorder or anxiety disorder, or whether they're, um, you know, existential issues that are cropping up about, you know, what's your place in the world and, where, you know, what sort of parent do you want to be and whatnot it is really helpful to talk to people. Um, and there are lots of therapists that really specialize in this, um, in this life transition. It's a huge, huge life transition. And so to think that you will breeze through it uh, with no issues at all, I think is, is just not reasonable. <laughs> Everyone's going to struggle with that at some point in time right. in some way. Um, so, you know, understanding that your brain, firstly, your brain is, perfectly adapted to this period of life through years and years and years of evolution so you're ready for this neurally and that doesn't take away from the fact that it's going to be really tough as well so understanding right. that we're not damaged we're not trying to deal with some kind of ruined brain or body uh, but at the same time this is a really tough period of life and it's going to involve some struggle so to get the help mm -hmm. um, that you need when you need it Oh, that's that's wonderful. We will absolutely gather those um, recommendations from you and put them in the link to the the podcast um, bio. And then I'm glad you brought up mental health. That's something that we talk about all the time on this podcast. And Psychology Today has a great website. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought up that there's therapists who specialize in that type of life transition or parenting or um, postpartum issues. So thank you so much for bringing that up. That's a really great point. 
Um, I want to give you the last word. How can people find more uh, about you and in, in your work? Yeah. Um, so my lab is called the Brain and Body Lab or the Bab Lab at UCLA. And you can, um, I'll give you my lab website and you can go there and, you know, take a look around if you're interested. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Dr. B. Calligan. And, um, you know, I try to really um do public outreach regularly. So, um, you know, I always post, you know, podcasts that I've done or articles that I've written on the lab website. So that's another way to um, keep up to date with what we're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much again. This was a real pleasure to talk to of you. Course, my pleasure. Thank you, Hillary. That wraps up another episode of the Brainstem Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and share this with friends and family. And be sure to follow us on social media at Brainstem Podcast.